0: Hello and welcome to episode one o eight of beekeeping at five apple farm this is lee i am so glad you have joined me today since we last spoke i had the honor and delight of speaking to my local bee club on specialty splits This is a subject near and dear my heart. It's my favorite thing to do. I don't speak to many clubs or groups because I just get to be such a bundle of nerves that it ends up taking a ton of time for me to cope with those nerves in order to do the presentation. So it just works out better for me to be here in my quiet little room with my dog talking to you on the radio. But it, it, is, it was very fun to see all my club members. I'm just so proud of the Tokane Club and the leadership that has gotten it to be a thriving and lively club. Anyway, in researching the presentation, I got to wondering what percentage of a swarm, you know, what percentage are nurse bees? What percentage are house bees? What percentage are forager bees? Who, who is that gang that leaves with the queen? This is a subject very much on my mind because for the first time in years, I have put up my swarm traps, which are really just hives that I'm not using, put in slightly elevated places. In the past, I was just too busy really to get my swarm traps up and and i had more redundancy in some of the lines of bees that i have so i didn't worry as much but this year because i got thinned out in the in the winter and these lines that i have are really important to me if they manage to get out in front of me and get away i want to have a good chance or some chance, any chance of either capturing them or getting them in a bait hive. So got those set up. And when I was looking up a question on the bait hives, I saw mention of the um, who who was in that swarm. It wasn't as specific as I wanted, but it was a good article I found. It was by Dr. Tom Seely himself, along with Richard Morse, Richard Nowogouds- Nowogrodsky. Sorry, sorry, Richard. And this is the article is called Bait Hives for Honeybees and I'm going to read it to you. Before I dive into the article, I want to say thank you to every patron who keeps this podcast on the air. And if you would like to join that group, it is patreon.com/fiveapple. You would be so welcome. There's some goodies there from the past and there's going to be more goodies on there, bonus bonuses for patrons like little videos and just brief updates that I I give when I'm out there in the bee yard and think of something and sometimes I will post them on that channel. So please join if you want to. And next time I am going to talk to you about specialty splits. I'm just going to go through the notes that I had during the presentation and share them with you kind of off the cuff. Won't have the visuals or the props that I had at the presentation, but wanted to share some of the information and also the resources link. So that will be the next one. So please stay tuned for that. But for now, bait hives for honeybees. Introduction. In most parts of the United States, many colonies of bees live in hollow trees and buildings. They are descendants of bees that escaped from beekeepers' hives and reverted to natural nests like those of their remote ancestors. By using special hives called bait hives or bait boxes, beekeepers may harvest swarms that issues from these or other colonies. An understanding of how swarms choose their nest sites helps us design and situate bait hives to make them more likely to attract swarms. Observing the way a swarm selects and builds a new nest can provide important background information for successfully pursuing the art of beekeeping. In many areas, the number of honeybee colonies in trees and buildings probably exceeds the number in human-made hives. All these colonies have chosen their homes. By studying naturally selected nests and experimenting with various types of hive, we've developed bait hive recommendations for beekeepers. In the Ithaca area of central New York State, we've captured swarms in 80% of the bait hives we set out in good years, nearly a 100 swarms in some years. In our poorest year, fewer than 20% of the bait hives were occupied. Capturing swarms can be an easy, inexpensive way to begin in beekeeping. However, a newly captured swarm, like a newly installed package of bees, rarely produces a surplus of honey for the beekeeper the first year. In fact, a swarm captured late in the season may need supplemental feeding to survive the winter. What is a swarm? When a colony of honeybees becomes large, it divides into two units. About 30 to 70 percent of the bees remain in the parent colony. The rest leave as a swarm. The bees in the swarm are predominantly workers, but a small fraction may be drones. Typically, each swarm has one queen, usually the old one from the parent colony, who is the mother of all the bees in the colony. Some prosperous colonies... Cast more swarms in the days following the departure of the first or primary swarm. Each after swarm includes one or more young virgin queens. We estimate that colonies in trees and buildings cast swarms 9 out of 10 years. Those managed by beekeepers cast swarms less frequently. The number of bees in a swarm varies greatly, from about 2,000 to more than 50,000. The swarms with the lowest populations are probably after swarms, which tend to be smaller than primary swarms. Very large swarms probably result for two or more swarms becoming confused and joining. Other factors affect swarm size, such as the volume of the nest cavity, because a colony casts a swarm when its residence has become congested, Colonies in small hives tend to swarm more frequently than those in large hives, with fewer bees per swarm. Swarm populations average 10,000 to 12,000 bees, about the number in a three-pound package of bees. A swarm or package of bees weighing three pounds installed in the hive in a spring is considered a good starting unit for a beekeeper. A swarm contains bees of all ages. (laughs) There was my answer. Thus, even the day a swarm is hived, The population declines due to the natural death rate. For the beekeeper, it is important that the queen begins to lay eggs and make replacement bees as soon as possible. A period of 21 days is required to grow a worker bee from egg to adult. That is a really important number. A period of 21 days is required to grow a worker bee from egg to adult. Adult workers typically live only four to six weeks. Thus, a swarm is a fairly frail unit. And that would be true of a package too. In fact, 80% of the swarms that move into natural nests fail to survive the first winter. Even the beekeeper, even the best beekeepers lose some colonies throughout the year, particularly during the winter. Good beekeeping involves reducing losses to an acceptable level. When does swarming occur? Successful use of bait hives, especially timely harvesting, requires knowing when swarming is most likely to occur in one's area. In central New York State, 80% of swarming takes place between May 15th and July 15th. Nearly 20% takes place between August 15th and September 15th. The remainder, only 1-2%, to occurs between mid-July and mid-August. A similar pattern presumably holds in the rest of the United States except that swarming starts earlier toward the south. Swarming in Maryland starts in April, for example, and in Florida in late February or March. For New York, we recommend capturing and hiving spring swarms only. Late summer and fall swarms require too much feeding and other attention to be worthwhile, and even then may not survive the winter. In general, a honeybee colony swarms only if the bees are relatively congested during the swarming season. This means that colonies that swarm Tend to be those with populations that build up the fastest. Thus, the timing of spring's warming is closely tied to the speed of colony buildup. Population growth is affected by various factors, including the availability of food, the ease with which the colony can control its hive environment. For example, colonies with damp bottom boards have more difficulty controlling the temperature for rearing brood, the age of the queen. Young queens generally lay more eggs than old queens and the presence or absence of disease. The amount of space available also contributes to crowding. When bees select their own nest, they prefer cavities smaller than the hives that are generally used for bee husbandry. The small nests tend to encourage swarming. As shown in figure one, only three of the more than 200 swarms we observed emerged before May 15th. (laughs) This is late. Gosh, I wish that was true for us. But no, ours will be coming out of the box probably next week because we're getting a sudden warm-up. Okay, back to the article. Two of these were cast in different years from the same bee tree at a low elevation on a west hill in Ithaca. The fact that swarming in this spot occurred exceptionally early indicates the importance of microclimate for honeybees. Microclimate should be considered carefully when selecting sites for apiaries. The more favorable the conditions, the more likely that colonies will build up rapidly and prosper. For a natural, unmanaged colony, this can mean even more swarming or swarming earlier in the season. For a beekeeper, it can translate into greater honey production. The departure of a swarm from its parent colony may take only 5 to 10 minutes, but noticeable preparation begins up to 10 days in advance. For example, colonies send out scout bees to search for new home sites several days before the entire swarm issues. Searching scouts can be seen flying up and down tree trunks, investigating knot holes and other openings. In central New York, the search for home sites may begin as early as the first week in May, so bait hives should be in place before then. During this period of preparation, in many workers the four pairs of wax glands on the underside of the abdomen go through development. Thus, the bees in a swarm are primed to build new comb rapidly. A beekeeper can take advantage of this and use a new swarm to draw good comb from foundation. Bait hives should be inspected and harvested frequently. Because within weeks of occupying a new home, a swarm can make a great quantity of fragile new comb. This may make moving full bait hives difficult, as overheating may cause the comb to melt, or undue jarring may break the comb and kill bees. Other swarm preparations are made by a colony. Queen cells are built and provisioned, and the queen lays eggs in them. Generally, by the time the primary swarm issues forth, the cells are capped, which means the developing queens are in late larval or pupil stage. The old queen loses up to one-third of her weight in the weeks before a swarm departure, which enables her to fly with the swarm. House hunting by bees. There is a division of labor in a honeybee colony. Individual bees specialize in different tasks. For example, all the food gathering is done by the older workers. Among these, a small fraction, 5% is probably typical, act as food scouts They find new patches of flowers and then recruit other workers to collect the nectar and pollen. The recruits rarely, if ever, explore for new food sources on their own, relying instead on information from the scouts. At swarming time, scout bees, presumably the ones that functioned as food scouts, scouts, seek out and evaluate new nest sites In experiments aimed at learning which nest characteristics are important and what the scouts prefer. We offered bees specially built bait hives, usually cube-shaped, in pairs. Within each pair, the hive differed in only one respect, For each pair, we recorded which of the hives was chosen by the swarm. Results of choice tests for many swarm yielded 12 recommendations for bait hive design, box. Some factors remain to be researched. Bait hives that meet all the criteria are passed up by some swarm for unknown reason. The color of the hive exterior appears to be unimportant, except that darker boxes may overheat in hot climates unless they are fully shaded. Colors that provide some camouflage, reducing human vandalism without discouraging the bees. The boxes pictured in this bulletin were made with 5-8 inch plywood, but other materials can be used. Both sturdy cardboard boxes and lightweight molded papier-mâché plant boxes available from nurseries have been used successfully in areas with dry climates. Alright, so I'm going to read you this box. This is the recommendation for hive bait hive design. The height, about 15 feet above the ground okay, this is Lee. (laughs) I had read this and I'm like, oh man, I do not feel like getting out a ladder and tie downs and all that stuff, uh, climbing a tree today. And so I messaged my friend Mark Smith of Flatwoods Bee Farm because he catches a lot of swarms. And I'm like, are your bait hives way up in a tree? And he wrote me back. It was great. He said, nope, you can reach all my bait hives standing on your feet, not even on your toes. So that was wonderful. Um, and, Thanks, Mark, for, for giving me a break on a day I needed a break. So the two I have up so far are just on the railing of elevated decks. We have two back decks, one on a little studio building and one on the on the actual house. And so, um, so yeah, there's a bait hive on the railing of my deck. It's, it's uh, tied down with ratcheting tie downs. But because it's on a, a deck and it's in a corner that's not often used, It probably is about six foot off the ground, like from the ground to the bottom of the box. The other one is probably, it might be 15 foot off the ground and um, just because it, it is on a deck. But anyway, thanks Mark. Number two, shade and visibility. Well shaded, but highly visible. Bees avoid or abandon bait hives in direct sun. Three, distance from the parent nest. Not important. Four, total entrance area. About one and a half to two square inches. A circular opening about one and a fourth inch in diameter is suggested. And again, I've seen lots of beekeepers catch hives in um, with, with various small openings. Five, entrance shape, not important. Oops, there we go. There it is. Six, entrance position near the floor of the hive. Entrance direction. Facing south preferred, but other directions are acceptable. Eight, cavity volume. About 1.4 cubic feet or 40 liters. This is about the volume of one standard 10-frame Langstroth hive body. 9. Cavity shape. Not important. 10. Dryness and air tightness. Dry and snug, especially at the top. 11. Types of wood. Various types are acceptable. Many types of trees have been occupied. Bees may avoid new lumber. And this is lead. That's what I use some of my old... Um, hive boxes for because they're beautifully coated in propolis and that does seem to uh, attract those scout bees because they're they're you know how they'll come and check out any box that you open even if it doesn't have anything in it if it's been occupied by the bees 12 odor the odor of beeswax is attractive however Putting in pieces of comb is not advisable, as comb also attracts wax, moths, and can harbor harbor disease organisms. If a hive body is used as a bait hive, a good solution is to insert a few wired frames, each containing a a strip of foundation. Commercially available chemical lures that smell like lemongrass and apparently mimic the scout's communication sense work well and can be used in bait hives of any shape and I'll pause here, and I I do not doubt that that is what the research said. At the same time, I know of dozens of bait keepers, excuse me, (laughs) dozens of swarm bait hive makers who are successful, who they do use some old comb. They either check it very frequently and freeze it and change it out now and then, or they spray it with the, um, the natural BT solution. The um, I haven't used it, but it's a BT. I think it's sold as Zentari. And if you spray the combs with that, then the wax moths will not be able to eat it. And another thing I read, um, and this was just from an, from an experienced beekeeper that said to not fill it up with frames because that hinders the scout bees in figuring out the size. But just to put a frame or two, or even better yet, foundationless frames because then you might get lucky and they might build their comb actually on a frame. Okay, back to the article. Sorry, I got chatty there. There are pictures and measurements on this article, so again, it will be in the show notes. Building a bait hive. A bait hive attracts scout bees and a swarm only if properly built, so be sure to follow the recommendations listed in the box at left. The dimensions of the wooden boxes used in our research are shown in figure 3. We used only cubes after data indicated that the shape of the hive was not important. The box should be built so it can be opened easily to examine the nest. A removable top makes transferring the bees into a permanent hive much easier. An excellent approach is to nail a top and a bottom to a standard Langstroth hive body. The top will be easy to remove later if the nail heads are left slightly exposed rather than driven in flush with the wood. The bait hive must have a projecting piece of wood or some type of hanger so it may may be fastened to a tree and later removed. It's frustrating to find that a box has fallen to the ground because of poor nailing or to struggle with removing a box from a tree because it was nailed into place too securely. This is Lee. I do not believe in putting nails in trees. (laughs) I think the ratcheting tie-downs are totally, totally better. Also, a nail or a piece of wire mesh across the entrance hole prevents birds from nesting in the bait hives while maintaining free access for the bees. Dryness and snugness are very important. To prevent any light or water from entering from the upper portion, all cracks must be sealed. Duct tape works well for this. Positioning bait hives. Success in using bait hives depends on proper site selection. A good location for a bait hive is about 15 feet off the ground, highly visible to maximize the likelihood of discovery by scouts, and fully shaded. Figure 4 shows three well-located hives. The figure on page 2 illustrates an ideal site in Kenya, East Africa, where bait hives have been used for centuries. Even the most carefully chosen location may be ignored or rejected by bees, including scouts and then swarms to enter hi- bait hives. is the Inducing scouts and then swarms to enter bait hives is only the first step. We have observed swarms moving into bait hives only re- to reject them an hour or d- a day later. Overheating of the hive seems to be a contributing factor. Once bees have built comb and have brood, however, they rarely abandon a new home. Inspecting bait hives In our experience, leaving bait hives in place to overwinter is a poor practice. Very few colonies survive. Although we have no data, we believe that bait hives are not as protected as tree cavities, and the winter death rate of colonies left in a bait hive is much higher than normal much higher than the normal 15 to 20% loss of established colonies in tree holes. But it may not be significantly higher than the 80% mortality of colonies in bee trees during their first year after moving in as a swarm. I'll pause for a second. This was something I pointed out in the talk about the great thing about making splits is preventing lost swarms because not only do you not want to lose your bees, but also lost swarms have a very low rate of survival. Bait hives, should be tre- checked. bait hives should be checked frequently, both to obtain data about when they were occupied and to pick up the bees. It is much easier to take down a recently occupied bait hive than one that has been left in place until the weight of honey in the population of bees has increased significantly. The key sign of occupancy is bee flight around the entrance. However, such activity may merely indicate that a hive is being investigated by scout bees. The surest sign that a swarm has moved in is the incoming bees carrying loads of pollen. Home-seeking scouts do not carry pollen. Not all bees collect pollen, however, and at a certain time of the year in certain localities, there may be a dearth. Also, a colony with only two to 5,000 bees may show markedly little activity at the hive entrance. Another useful distinction between scouts from a swarm and foragers from a colony that has taken up residence is the pattern of flight around the hive. Bees scouting a potential nest site move repeatedly in and out of the entrance, sometimes taking short flights but returning again and again for further inspection of the interior. Most foragers, in contrast, either leave the entrance quickly or stand there for a while, rapidly groom themselves, then fly off directly. Sometimes, especially in the early afternoon, bees leaving an occupied hive are young bees taking orientation flights. They trace widening figure-eight patterns in the air. And this is, Lee, this is a tip I heard from an experienced beekeeper who caught a lot of swarms. And that was what they did was they just put a a tiny smear of their honey, either just right around the entrance or or even on just on the outside of the, the hive box. And that smell, of course, brings the bees instantly. And essentially, they investigate see what's going on. And this beekeeper told me that that makes the foragers, makes some of the foragers aware that the box is there. So I can't vouch to that. But I will tell you that I did smear a little honey on. And there were foragers investigating within a few hours. And, I mean, not that they stayed, not that there were a lot of them. Because it was probably like, you know, it was just a fingertip. Full of honey uh, smeared around the door, but it did bring them in checking out the place. So we'll see what happens. Taking down a bait hive. Consider safety when bringing down a bulky hive. It's not an easy object to carry on a ladder. An occupied bait hive may weigh as much as 60 to 80 pounds. In some areas, bait hives get heavy early in the season when there has been a good honey flow. If nectar is abundant, a colony can harvest several pounds of honey in a single day. Even a hive without much stored honey contain can contain many pounds of adult bees and brood. A beekeeper can approach and handle an occupied bait hive as he or she would any other colony, but there are special considerations because, the, because of the awkwardness of working on a ladder. Placing the ladder against a tree and climbing it may arrive, arouse guard bees and make them more likely to attack you before you can smoke the entrance. A smoker should be lit and ready before the ladder is paced against the tree. It may be possible to allow smoke from below to drift up to the entrance before approaching the hive. Climb the ladder with care to keep vibrations to a minimum and smoke the bait hive entrance quickly. It's important to tie an occupied bait hive into place carefully with a rope before removing the nails that hold it to a tree or other object. Pause. Yeah, see, this is why I don't like the nail thing. <laughs> if, if you've got your, if you've got one ratcheting tie down holding the thing together and one holding it to the tree, or two, one or two holding it to the tree, that just seems easier to me. But anyway, So I'm going to pause there, because the rest of the article, um, he talks about building the bait hives they use and putting them up in trees, really high up in trees, which may be necessary when you're putting them in a forest, as they were doing. But lots of the photos and tales I've heard from beekeepers, the boxes or just hives are not put up that high. You know, maybe above the shoulder, arm reach height, or step ladder, easy step ladder height. I don't think they have to be up that high, especially if you're in a setting that is not a forest. But in your area, the trick would be to try it and see what happens. I've heard beekeepers talk about swarms rarely, but I have heard it happen, moving into unoccupied hives in the apiary. I've heard more often beekeepers talk about a a swarm moving into a hive that they had in storage somewhere, like set in a barn or something, and they come back and find that a a bee got in it, bees got in it, and now it has a hive. So anyway, I'm going to stop there, because the rest of the article is about putting up these uh, boxes that, that, the way they use them, very high in trees, and they're putting them up in the forest. And I feel like most of us are probably not doing that style of swarm catching. Probably most of us are just Need a swarm box on the other side of our farm or the other side of the house, or down at a neighbor's house or across the field from us, just uh, somewhere to give them some options and In his research right here, it talks about that the distance from the hive that they emerge from is not so important, and that kind of surprises me because in my mind, I guess I thought the bees would naturally go a certain distance, and maybe most of them do I'm not sure, but anyway, the rest of the article is all about kind of wild forest tree bee catching. Bee catching is is kind of what it looks to me. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, he's got more information on that. And also, I am going to before I post this, I'm going to look around and find some links about easier, kind of easier to build and put up swarm boxes that I've seen since this article was published. But I just wanted to throw that little tidbit out to y'all to be thinking about bait hives well before your your swarm season starts because you know everything happens all at once in beekeeping and spring is when things just bust loose in all sorts of ways so this is a quick one i'm going to be back with you i hope quickly to talk about that talk about specialty splits those are for the the ones that you manage to keep at your yard and then for the ones that manage to get out of your yard may your swarm traps be fruitful with that, I will bring this quick podcast to a close. I'm wishing you all well. Another tidbit is a listener wrote in, and I had mentioned on the last podcast that I would love ideas for future episodes, and so Jared kindly wrote in with an entire list of fascinating topics that he would like to know more about, and it's just wonderful because it gives me a way to focus my obsessive reading about bees. I'll be looking up some of Jared's topics and trying to bring you information on those. So thank you so much for that. And if you're out there and you have ideas on topics you would like to hear, please send me an email, blueridge714 at gmail.com. And patrons, send me a message on Patreon. You guys are always at the top of my mind because you keep this show on the air and I appreciate you each and every one so very much. I have some fun little videos, or I think they're fun. I hope you think they're fun to post to you this week of how I was boosting some very tiny colonies with nurse bees from one of my overflowing colonies, and maybe it will give you ideas on how to do that if you need to. It's a handy trick. All right, y'all have a wonderful week. I'm cheering you all on, and I'll talk to you soon.